start just at a base level. We can all agree that Jesus was crucified in the first century, and Jesus taught in parables. And so we see the cross as the primary means of redemption in Christ, and parables as the primary means of revelation from Jesus. They invite you to ask this, and we want you to ask yourself this each and every Sunday as we dive into all the different parables that we're going to be teaching on. In this story, who am I, and how do I become more like Jesus? We want to keep asking ourselves that question. Now, we have to be careful, especially with things like parables, with things like different stories in the Bible, that we don't try to make it say what we want it to say, that we don't try to fit the story to our circumstance. The Word of God is inherent, and God speaks to each and every one of us, and He speaks to us uniquely and differently and through many different things. But we always want to line up what God is saying to us with the Word of God and not the other way around. We don't want to twist what we sense God is saying to us to fit the Word of God. It's the reverse. The Word of God is first, and we align to it first. And so we always want to anchor into that place right at the very beginning. Here's what Jesus said about why he taught in parables. In Matthew 13, 13, it says, this is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone, and you're talking, and you can see they're not hearing you. You can see they're not seeing things from the same perspective as you're trying to share. They do not understand what you're trying to say. We've all been there. I think we can look around at the world right now, just turn on our social media feeds, turn on our news feeds, and we can see that people are seeing things from very different perspectives. Jesus then quotes Isaiah in Matthew 13, 15, and he says this, For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn. Everyone say turn. And turn, and I would heal them. Listen to that. And turn, and I would heal them. That is a powerful, powerful word for someone today turn and I will heal you. Turn. One of John Gottman's principles for making marriage work, it's a great, great technical book about marriage, seven principles for making marriage work, is one of those principles is turn towards. So in any type of relationship, particularly in a marriage relationship, as we turn towards one another, it's one of the principles that actually um, makes for a lasting marriage. Now, that seems really, really simple, but if you think about it, and for some of you here today, maybe there's tension in your relationship, or maybe your marriage is really, really struggling. If you just took that one principle, and you just softened your heart a little, and turned towards your spouse, just turned towards them in a soft demeanor... (laughs) There's something that is going to happen, because what's the reverse of that? What's the reverse of that? Oh, I've seen that that posture before. Right? (laughs) 
The reverse is, I'm going to turn away from you, and I'm going to go after something else. I'm against you. We're not on the same team. And so one of the principles is just turning towards. This word turn is a powerful, powerful word. And if that's true of marriage, how much so, more so in our relationship with God? One of the very meanings of the word repentance is to turn, is to turn from one way of being into another. And so open hearts, ears, and eyes require us to turn in order to feel and listen and see what Jesus is teaching about himself and the kingdom and about ourselves through the parables. Parables are these stories that Jesus used to teach using examples that people would understand. However, parables produce different results in different people. Parables hide the truth from the crowd and they reveal the truth to disciples. Jesus used the parables to actually expose the hearts that were hard, and Jesus used parables to elicit a response from those coming towards Jesus, turning towards Jesus, leaning in. You see, he was looking for curiosity, inquisitiveness, those asking for an explanation, those who would accept his message. This is how people would begin turning towards Towards Jesus. Do you ever think about the filter through which you hear through? You see, our inner world determines the filter with which we hear something. Where there's pain or insecurity or inferiority or fear or brokenness, the lens of what we hear, the filter of what we hear is going to be skewed. I'll give you an example. A wife calls a husband at work and says, can you pick up eggs on your way home from work today? One filter that he could hear that through is he's thinking, okay, well, we need eggs and I'm going to drive by the grocery store on my way home. Sure, that's not a problem. I can do that. So he responds and says, sure, I'll pick up eggs on the way home. But another filter could be a filter of stress or anxiety, stress over time, stress over money. And so the husband thinks, oh, I already have to get gas on the way home. I, I have to pick up a package I missed. The checking account is almost empty. I've had a long day. Don't I do enough? I can't believe she's asking for more. So if that's the hypothetical, filter. Hypothetical story. <laughs> this is a hypothetical story. <laughs> See, because Lori wouldn't call me at work. She would just walk down the hall and talk to me hypothetically. <laughs> and we drive to work together, so. <laughs> I rest. I don't, have to, I don't have to ask you to pick up the eggs. But we do make a lot of stops on our way to and from work. Not hypothetical. <laughs> Uh, but his response may be, if that's the filter he's hearing this question through, it might be, I can't believe you're asking this of me. No, I can't pick up the eggs. Why can't you do it, right? So again, if all of that's what's going on in the inner world, the filter is skewed with how he's going to hear. Now, this happens all the time. This happens to us in everyday life. This happens right here in church as we're listening to different things, different messages. One thing we often say here at Life Center is we need the whole church to be the church. Every one of us has a part to play in the body of Christ. And so for some of you, you hear this message and you hear this repeated and it stirs this excitement and this anticipation. What could that mean for me? What gifts do I have? I want to learn what's, what gifts and strengths God has given me to bring to the table so that I can pour into the body of Christ so I can be a part of this body together and bring my part. There's a curiosity, an excitement that it stirs within. But if you have a filter of maybe pain or maybe a fear of rejection or maybe an inferiority 
or low self-esteem, you're going to hear this message and probably say, yeah, that sounds great for everybody else here but me. You're going to think, if you only knew my past, if you only knew my story, there's no way you'd invite me to be a part of this community. You would think, this message is only for those people, whoever those people are for you. Maybe it's those people that Kosi was talking about this morning, you know, the smiling ones that greet you on your way in. I'm not one of those people. I'll never fit in anywhere. The filter through which we hear has a powerful, powerful story in our story. And pain and brokenness and inferiority will harden your heart to the message rather than awakening you to turn towards drawing near to God. And what's so fascinating here is that when you read about these parables, Jesus' expectation was not even that everybody would understand. In fact, most people didn't understand what he was saying. They didn't understand the point of the story. But what Jesus was looking for was a heart looking to turn towards him, to draw near, to incite curiosity and to ask questions. When you read your Bible, what does it do? Does it cause you to lean in a little deeper and ask more questions and pull an, a curiosity inside of you? Does it cause you to draw nearer to Jesus? You see, Jesus was looking for faith. This was the design of these teachings, and this is God's desire for each and every one of us. He's looking for a seed of faith. True disciples will eventually grow in understanding and revelation, but that is not the starting place. Hunger and curiosity and faith are the beginning of this turning towards Jesus, and that's what our parable today is all about. So as Jesus is talking, the inner world of the listener is eliciting a response. This parable is going to reveal the hearts of the people. And it's very easy for you and for I to be critical, to be hard-hearted, to be defensive, to justify our own choices and our own circumstance. It's easy to find what's wrong in the world because truly there is so much wrong everywhere. We love to sit in the seat of judge. I know better. But what is much harder is to lay all of that down and choose a walk of faith because a walk of faith says things can change. A walk of faith says, I'm a part of the kingdom of God. Faith says that no matter, that every part matters, and no matter what my part is, how big or small it is, my part matters, and I need to bring that to the table. Faith says, I need the body of Christ. That's scary. I need the body of Christ. Yes, even the annoying ones. We need each other, church. We need each other. And so what is the filter through which you hear? Yeah, that is a fantastic, fantastic question. And so let's read our first parable together. It's often called the parable of growth. And it's only two verses, so it's short. But I want you to notice the singularity of this story. Um, Jesus told other parables that we're not talking about today about seed and sowing seed that were multiples. That's not what he is doing here. Notice the singularity. Here we go. Matthew 13, verses 31 to 32. It's called the parable of growth, usually called the parable of growth. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom, singular, of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed, singular, that a man, singular, took and sold in his, or sowed, excuse me, in his field, singular. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is is larger than all the garden plants and becomes, singular, a tree. 
so that the birds of the air come and nest and make nests, plural, in its branches. So it's singular, 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 singular. And when it is grown, it actually helps others, multiple. So again, in Galilee, mustard plants, when full grown, became, though they're plants, they became like trees that grew about 15 feet high in, in, in height, in length. Uh, yet in seed form, the mustard seed is known as, of course, the smallest of seeds. In God's kingdom, here is what is true. Harvest mostly begins in seed form. Harvest mostly begins in seed form. Now, I use the word mostly because there are occasions when and where God instantaneously does a miracle, right. where the time between sowing and harvest is instantaneous. There are instantaneous miracles. I know people in my life who have been instantaneously healed, instantaneously set free, and to God be the glory. However, here's what I would say. Instantaneous miracles are more rare than a healing process. I know others that have been healed through a process and by a process. Oftentimes, you and I, God is the Lord of the harvest. Yes, he's also the Lord of the seed. And oftentimes we can miss where God is moving because we are looking exclusively to harvest and not, miss, and not seeing what he is planting in a certain season of our lives. This means, again, if you heard many times pastors use this one, before there's a testimony, there has to be a test. Before there's a message, you got to go through a mess. In other words, where God is often working is not the story that we're telling. It's much earlier in our lives. So see the setting that Jesus is speaking. And remember, these are real people hearing a real Jesus Talk to them about real problems. If you put yourself in a Jewish context in this story, they are living under the heel of Rome. And not only that, their own religious leaders have taken the Ten Commandments and now there's about 600 rules. So they're living under the oppression not only of Rome, that's real, but also religiosity that is absolutely multiplied to an unhealthy level. I know you have to use your imagination of what that could happen if religiosity multiplies to an unhealthy level, but I just trust you have a sanctified imagination that can do that. <laughs> These are problems that they're experiencing. The issue is they could feel like the smallest seed under this really great plant called Rome. Now the challenge that Jesus is saying to them and to us today is you have one life to live. There's the singularity of your life. Yeah. There's the singularity of the gospel. But the truth is that there are multiple kingdoms operating in the world right. today. And each one of them invites you to plant your seed of faith in them that they will not only save us, but lead us to a preferred future. Right. Now, they may not use that language. Like Lori was saying a moment ago, you know, within marriage, using it as an, as, as an example that, you know, you just have to turn towards your spouse. Well, well, here's the thing. It'd be really, really weird to walk in and go, hey, Lori, in this moment, I am turning towards you. <laughs> I, you wouldn't do that. Some of you are like, well, why wouldn't you do that? Because it wouldn't work. <laughs> what happens, though, this is what we do. We turn towards one another, but because we're so busy often, we don't see it. Yeah. Yeah. And the multiplied misses of not seeing that we are turning to 
This causes problems in relationships. Now, let me contrast that. And I want to tell you something profound and powerful. Any and everywhere and anywhere you turn your heart to your heavenly father, he never misses that moment. Why? Because his affection is never not towards you. Yeah. It's never yeah. not on you. It's an important thing for us to realize. Jesus said that, well, so the question I would ask is, what ground is the seed of your faith planted within? Jesus said in Matthew 17, verse 20, for truly I say to you, if, everybody say if, if, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, so, so, so small, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. It's a Jewish idiom. Usually, you know, we would say, oh, it's raining cats and dogs. Yeah. It's not really raining cats and dogs. It's just raining a lot. Mm -hmm. It's a Jewish idiom here of Jesus saying, man, if you would put your faith, and it can be so small and insignificant, but if you plant it in me, because I'm the God who can make the impossible possible, if you mm -hmm. plant it in me, then nothing is possible because of who God is. What about the other kingdoms of this world? We can plant our faith in them. And they can make some things possible, but not all things. And so Jesus is traveling from town to town with this ragtag crew of disciples, about 120 of them, people whose only reason for being in relationship is they're all following Jesus right. together. And Jesus is planting seeds of faith through teachings, fulfilling prophecy, saving and healing and setting people free. And Yes. When compared to the majesty of Rome or other empires or powers, this group that is traveling around all Israel, it wouldn't look like much compared to Rome. But Jesus is going place to place to place to place. And he's inviting people. He's invoking curiosity about this king and his kingdom because a mustard seed holds potential for growth and transformation, but only if it's planted and only if it's planted in the right source. I recently heard a pastor ask this question. At what precise time does a new day begin? And the answer, of course, we know is 12 a.m. And so in the depth of night, in the, at the height of darkness, each new day begins. Wow. Loved ones, if you look at the world and you see impossibility, you only see what is, then what I'm telling you is don't get your eyes on the darkness. Wow. Get your eyes on the new day that yeah. is coming because God does his Starting deepest work in yeah. seasons yeah. where we don't understand yes. what God is going, yes. what God is doing. Yeah. Here is what is abundantly true. There is an invitation to every follower of Christ to trust God deeper yes. in this season. What was sufficient for the season before is no longer sufficient for this season. But in Christ, we have more mm -hmm. that we need to solve the challenges of our day that are real, that are present, and that are actually the opportunity to display God's glory. The parable of growth is equally about beginnings as it is conclusions. The scripture says, Jesus said in the story, it becomes, everybody say it becomes. It becomes. It becomes a tree, so the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Laurie, take us a bit deeper regarding the significance of trees in the Bible. Yeah, we're going to touch on uh, the significance of trees, but also how does this story connect to the Old Testament, what Jesus is fulfilling in this moment, to what Jesus came to do, and to what is to come. It's quite exciting. And so trees were very significant throughout the Bible. 
God, in the very, very beginning, God created a place to dwell with his people. This was his heart's desire. He wanted to be with his created people. And he put a tree in the middle of this garden. And this tree revealed the heart of Adam and Eve. The fruit of this tree was pleasing to the eye and to the taste, and it promised to make one wise, knowing good from evil. And this was something Adam and Eve were going to need if they were going to rule the earth. This was a job that God gave them. They were going to need wisdom, and they were going to need understanding. So they did something. They turned towards the tree. They turned towards the tree and away from trusting God for everything that they had need of. They disobeyed God and this perfect dwelling place that God had created for them and for him to dwell with them was broken. The fruit of the tree has power to produce life or death. Adam and Eve took what was not theirs to take and death and separation was the result. But... But God loved them so much, so much that he made another way to draw near, to dwell with his people. So he set apart a people unto himself, calling the descendants of Abraham as his own. The children of Israel became his people. And he prepared a way, the books of the Torah were the way that God ordered how he was going to dwell with his people and what the people needed to do in order to make things right for the sin that they had caused. And these instructions, these instructions we see throughout the Torah are, like the parables, would reveal the heart of his people. Again, that's what they were designed to do, to reveal and expose what was going on at the heart level. And so they built a tent and later a temple for God's manifest presence to dwell in. But again, God's people disobeyed and this dwelling place was broken. It was defiled by sin. But God loved us so much that he made yet another way for God's people to draw near to him and for him to dwell with his people. He sent his one and only son, fully God in human form on the earth to dwell with his people, to teach them and to show them the way of this new kingdom that was to come. His instructions and his teachings would again reveal the heart of the listeners. And yet again, the people would harden their hearts and disobey the message. And so the dwelling place of God was yet again broken in the person of Jesus. God's created people beat and broke Emmanuel, the literal dwelling of God with us. You see, Jesus taught us about a tree that starts from the smallest seed. And Jesus later would hang on a tree as a final sacrifice for all the brokenness of the garden, the brokenness of the children of Israel, and the brokenness of you and the brokenness of me, and usher in this new kingdom of heaven. But this is not even the end of God's story. In fact, all this was a part of God's incredible plan, the most epic kind of dwelling that God had in store for you and for me. This dwelling that would become necessary for this gospel seed to become the tree that it was destined to become. 
God would pour out the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. We would become the new dwelling of God so that we could become the fullness of this fruitful kingdom. And it would prepare us to go back one day to a brand new Eden, a brand new garden where there will be no sin and no pain and no more brokenness. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus proclaims that from the smallest seed will come the largest tree. You see, this message of, this, of the gospel, this seed of the gospel, started with one man who invited 12 to follow him. 12 men turned toward Jesus and had ears to hear, and it grew to many who believed. 120 men and women had ears to hear, they turned toward Jesus, and they were filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And since that number has grown to two billion people on the earth who call Jesus Lord. It's true, 31% of the earth calls Jesus Lord. Christianity is the largest religion. That seed of the gospel has become the largest tree. You see, later in the chapter, after Jesus explains the meaning of these parables, he asks this question. He says, have you understood? You see, understanding comes when the treasure of what is new, so what is to come, and what is old, that which has already happened, come together. Jesus is bringing a new revelation of a new kingdom while fulfilling an entirely old one. And this is exactly what Jesus wants to do in each and every one of our lives. He wants to lead us into something brand new while fully redeeming everything in our past, everything old that has happened to us. You see, in Jesus, anger turns to joy and worry turns to peace. Addictions turn to freedom. In Jesus, you no longer need to turn to fear or pornography or overspending or psychics or self-harm or striving or approval or lies that you are not enough, that you don't matter, that it would be better if you weren't here. These are lies that lead to death. And every time you eat of them, the result is death. Instead, turn Turn from those things. Turn towards the giver of life, the one who wants to make all things new. As we were worshiping today, I don't know if you noticed the words of the songs that we were singing, but I feel like for some of you here today, God handpicked those songs because he knew that you would come in here today desperate, absolutely desperate, in need of hope, in need of help, crying out to God, saying, God, I need you. God, my God, I need you. I need you now. I have nowhere to turn. I'm desperate. And for some of you here today, you have been believing the lies of the enemy. You've actually been taking your seed of faith and you've been putting it into the lies of the enemy. And I'm here to tell you today, it takes the exact same amount of faith to take that seed and to put it in the truth of God's word, in the truth of who God says you are. Because you think that your story and your past disqualify you from your future, but actually it's your past and your story 
story that God wants to use to propel you into the future that he has ordained for you. So you do not need to listen to the lies of the enemy anymore. In fact, you can turn from those lies and turn towards Jesus and say, I receive today new life. I receive redemption today, redemption from all that I have been through, all that is in my past. And God wants to make you new and write a new story in your life. You see this good news, this good news, this seed of faith, this good news was not just good news that day. It's present good news. Present day good news for you and for your story today. You see, because God doesn't waste anything. He doesn't waste anything. Yeah, God wastes nothing, yet uses everything if we will allow him to make us more like Christ. Eugene Peterson says this, rescue me from the person who tells me of life and omits Christ, who is wise in the ways of the world, yet ignores the movement of the Spirit. Final story. A few months ago, just after Easter, I was standing at the door one of the things that definitely baffles me right now is Christians who can be so vocally critical of the world when you see that God is actually cleaning up the church so we can get our own house in order. Baffles me a little bit of how we can be so judgmental outside and so blinded by what's going on inside. And if you haven't noticed, God is pruning the church. He's pruning leadership within the church. He's pruning sin in the church. He is absolutely pruning biases and belief that have propelled some and held others back. God is moving. We just don't always like where he chooses to move. Yet, it doesn't matter whether we like it or not. He's moving. Mm -hmm. But he only prunes so that we can be healthier and that we can bear much more fruit. So we've got to be willing to go maybe through an ugly season in order for God to make us beautiful again. And I was standing at the door, and a gentleman grabbed both of my shoulders, which made me uncomfortable. But he grabbed both of my shoulders, and he intently looked me in the eye at the door. And he said to me these words, do you have something that you need to confess? Thank you for asking. (laughs) And I thought instantly for a moment, like, oh, man. I took the question seriously because I don't actually believe that I'm the only one who speaks. I believe God can use any one of our hearts and any one of our lives. I'm just a part of the body. So I thought, man, like, I started thinking, like, do I really need to confess? Like, and so I started just confessing, like, man, like, I know I've made some dumb leadership decisions. Like, I've yelled at my kids um, when I shouldn't have, I should have been more patient and I wasn't like when, when Lori turns, I don't always notice, especially if sports are on TV, then I don't hear anything. I, you know, and he said, no, no, it's not what I mean. I mean, have you slept with someone that you shouldn't have? Have you embezzled money? Am I going to come back in three weeks and you're going to be standing up there apologizing for something that you did way back there? I went, oh man, I haven't slept with anyone other than Lori. 
I haven't embezzled any funds. And then I looked at him and I said, do you need to confess anything to me? And the response went a little like, well, that's not really why I'm doing that. Okay, that's fine, that's fine, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> then I, little, I had a little aha from the Spirit. And I said these words to him that I say to you. By God's grace, though not sinless, we're walking in integrity, past, present, and by God's grace into the future. But here's what I want to say. Loved ones, we are not the soil, and this church isn't the soil that you plant your singular seed of faith. No, no, no. All of us together plant a singular seed of faith in Christ alone. And if we will continue to keep our eyes on Jesus, plant our faith in Jesus, though the church capital C may shake and the world may shake, we can trust in the one who has all things under control. That we can trust when he cuts and when he prunes because he does so with precision and intent to make us healthier and more like him. Parable summarized. Don't live with seed in your hand, with potential resting in your hand. Seed in your hand is transformation never realized. Seed given by God, planted in the work of his son, daily surrendered to the moving of the spirit. Oh, just watch what God will do. Glory. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, we want to give you an opportunity to do that. I'm going to invite everybody to stand right now, and we're just going to pray a simple prayer. And just as brothers and sisters alongside you, if you're here today and you're going to pray that prayer for the first time, or maybe even to rededicate your life to Jesus, we're all just going to pray it alongside you in support of you and in support of that decision that you're going to make today. So I'm going to ask you just to repeat after me. Dear Jesus. Dear Jesus. I turn towards you today. I turn towards you today. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for never giving up on me. Thank you for never giving up on me. I turn from my sin. I turn from my sin. And ask you to forgive me. And ask you to forgive me. I give you my life today. I give you my life today. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross. In Jesus' name. In Jesus amen. Name.